morning gate. And praise God. Let the Holy Spirit work in us this morning. Your love never fails, Lord. It's, let's stand and praise. Mountain that I feel, stronger than the power of the grave. Constant in the trial and the change. One thing remains, one thing remains, oh, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me, your love. On and on and on and on it goes. Overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I never ever have to be afraid. One thing remains. One thing remains. Oh, your love never fails. Great love, my debt is paid. There's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. Your love, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love, your of his wonderful love and his awesome love for us and so this morning may i invite you just to greet those around and about you i'd like to just welcome all visitors with us this morning and just welcome one another thank you
Um, be, before I start with the evening service, um, has anybody lost their glasses? I don't want you to be blind when you go home. Or we will pray for you to get sight back. We can do that. I believe in healing. But <laughs> uh, this was found in the parking. I have your glasses if you've lost them. If I can, it looks like a lady's pair of specs. Please look in your handbag where the kitchen sink is as well. Um, you might find your glasses that have disappeared. <laughs> And then just a reminder that after the service, we will be taking up benevolent fund. It's the little baskets that are on the table there. And yeah, uh, the benevolent fund goes to help those within our congregation that just need to be helped uh, when it comes to a time when things may seem just a little bit difficult and we'd like to make the challenge a little less for them. So please don't forget for the benevolent fund, it's communion Sunday. So generally after the service on a communion Sunday, we do the benevolent fund. And just a reminder, please join us 6 p.m. here at the church uh, for the evening service. It really is a powerful time of getting intimate with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For those who come on the Sunday evening, you will agree with me that we are growing in intimacy with Christ. And uh, I would like to welcome you all to come and join us 6 p.m. Sunday evenings as we come together and seek intimacy with Jesus Christ. And then for those who are interested and those who are part of the 5 m course, just a reminder that we continue today at half past 10 this morning after the service. Um, it will be in room number 7 or the counseling room. And please join us as, as we learn a bit more about what it means to be part of Gateway. And I would like to invite those who may not have been part of last week, but to join us um, this morning. And we would really like to make membership much more meaningful. Will you please stand as we come to our call of worship this morning? We gather today to worship the one who created us. Can you please respond? The one who calls us. The one who equips us. And then if you respond, the one who loves us without end. With joyful hearts, let us worship God. Can you worship God? Can you hear? There's a new song. Can you hear? There's a new song. Singing out from the children of freedom. Every race and every nation. Singing out, sing a new hallelujah. Not to the nation, bringing hope of the grace that is freedom. Make it known 
Jesus, we are here this morning just to give you honor and glory and praise and say, Father, we love you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to save us. Thank you, Father, that you're here in the midst of us. Come, Holy Spirit, and just worship. Let us worship you. Thanks, Father.
times like weeds when we lie in bed and we hear you speaking to us. Just take a few minutes, if it's the Lord speaking to you or have spoken to you, just acknowledge it and give him praise. Because the Lord speaks to us in various ways at any time, any time of day, any time of night, we'll call you. So let's take a few minutes and just give him praise. Thank you, Lord. your people. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
as we have been worshiping God, I just sense God's been laying in my heart that there are people this morning that are broken. That there are people this morning who feel they have really tried so hard to to do God's will, but yet they sense that they are failing God. And um, this morning, God just reminded me as I was preparing for this time of worship that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did three important things. He was crucified, he died, and he rose again from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, took all your sin upon him. Every single sin that you have committed. There's even a scripture that says, even the sins that you will be committing in the future. Jesus Christ was crucified. He took on all, he, all our punishment upon himself. Secondly, Jesus died. All of that is over. I like this expression. It's finish and claw. Finish and claw. But Jesus did a third thing. He rose again from the dead. He has brought us into a new life. We no longer have to hold on to that old life. It's gone. It's finish and claw. See, what God has done is that after Jesus died, it says to us that 50 days later, well, 10 days, he spent time with all his disciples, 10 days later he ascended into heaven. But what happened, well, rather, after the ascension, what happened 10 days later? The Holy Spirit came. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we serve Jesus Christ. We serve God. We don't do it on our own strength anymore. That's the religious spirit when you've got to try and do it yourself. What did Jesus Christ do? He was crucified. He died. And he rose again from the dead. And he poured out his Holy Spirit. Indeed, actually in John, the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus came into the midst of the disciples when they were all sitting in the upper room that evening. And he said, I breathe my Holy Spirit upon you. Meaning that he has now it's finished in claw, <laughs> and he has come to do it in your life. So if you come this morning and you feel burdened, you feel that you're a failure, you feel that you wish you could do more, may I remind you this morning that as we come to the Lord's table, that that has all been paid for. Through the blood of Christ, we are not only saved, but we are healed. The Greek word Susa means that you are healed from all physical ailments and that you are saved, that your soul is saved for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Almighty God, we just thank you that in Christ we are saved. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ we have new life. And thank you, Lord, that that new life comes to the power, the luminous power, of your Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now within each one of us. And that in Christ, we can do all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
morning I continue our series on unlocking the kingdom of God. And the question to you is, are you ready in your own life to unlock the kingdom? Just a reminder that when you go out the church, you'll see um, all the different ministries that we offer at Gateway. And um, are the QR codes working yet? Almost working. Okay. Almost working. <laughs> but just go and look at what we offer and, and we will let you know as soon as we can get uh, modern technology to cooperate with us. You can then um, register yourself for those ministries. But we would love you to be part of what God is doing at Gateway. This morning, I'd like to share with you from the New Testament part of the Bible, from the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and reading from verse 1 to 13. Come, let us hear the word of God. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know now in part. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 
And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. May God bless to us the reading of his word. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray for the word. Almighty God, we pray this morning that your word will speak into our hearts. Lord, through the blood of Christ, we just pray that you will remove all distraction from our hearts and minds this morning. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will make us alert to God's word. And Lord Jesus, we pray that your word will speak life and hope into each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. William Gladstone, in announcing, in announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of the, of the princess was seriously ill with diphtheria. The doctors told the princess not to kiss her little daughter, for she will endanger her life by breathing in the child's breath. Once when the child was struggling to breathe, the mother, forgetting herself entirely, took the little one into her arms to keep her from choking to death. Rasping and struggling for her life, the child said, Mama, kiss me. Without thinking of herself, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. She got diphtheria, and some days thereafter, she went to be forever with the Lord. Real love forgets self. Real love forgets self. Real love knows no danger. Real love doesn't count the cost. Look at this table. Real love doesn't count the cost. The Bible says in, song, in the Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. Spiritual gifts can be over-exaggerated by some Christians while being understated by others. While some elevate the importance of spiritual gifts above their salvation, others can diminish the tremendous benefits that are ours through the spiritual gifts we receive from the Lord. But it is important that spiritual gifts are used as God determines. They are not to be abused or used for self-gratification, nor should someone exploit their gift by trying to demonstrate their own superior spirituality. The Apostle Paul is seeking to bring us 
a balanced understanding of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through, verse thir- uh, through chapter 13. We who are born from above should make it a priority to learn and to discern all we can. In connection with spiritual gifts, we are instructed to use them wisely as directed by the Holy Spirit and to develop our giftings for the collective benefit of the body of Christ and to the glory of God. Spiritual gifts are freely bestowed to enable us to carry out the good work God has prepared for us to do. We all receive a spiritual gift or gifts, but we do not choose our preferred spiritual gifts. We don't go into a heavenly catalog and go, oh Lord, I I think I like this one, Uh, words of knowledge. (laughs) No. You know what I believe God does? There's a, there's a scripture that says that our weakness is God's strength. And I believe that God will imprint something in our heart that we think is just, I like this word, ginormous <laughs> for us to do. It scares us when we think that this is what God wants us to do. Because you see, what does God want us to do? He gives us that spiritual gift so that we won't turn to our own strength and ability, but that we will turn to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and call upon His Holy Spirit to come upon us. And through that relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will be able to fulfill God's call and gifting upon our life. Paul teaches that it is the same Holy Spirit who works all these things together, who distributes to each one individually just as He wills. It is not our place to ask for spiritual gifts, but to discover the gift that He has given us. One important principle which the Corinthian Christians disregarded was that gifts are for the improvement of the whole body of Christ, the church, and are for the glory of God. They are not given for selfish reasons, but to equip God's people for their work of service and to build up Christ's The other day I nearly puked. I was reading about this pastor somewhere in Nigeria or Ghana, and every time he gets on the plane, he's, his church members all lie on the runway and he walks over them because he can't step on the dirt. He has to step over the people to get to the plane. That's sickening 
that's not what we call to be. It's not about that pastor, priest, or apostle, whatever he calls himself, or bishop. It's about Jesus Christ and Him glorified. We are here to serve God and we are here to build up Christ's body. The gifts and graces we receive from the Spirit should function together for the common good of all God's people and not for the self. And it is not for self-gratification of an individual. And this is what was happening in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth must have been a huge challenge to Paul. He was instrumental in planting the church, leaving it in the capable hands of Priscilla and Aquila and, and Timothy. Unfortunately, the evil and sin of the local community spilled over into the Christian community, contaminating the local church. There were all kinds of sins happening. There was prostitution. There was incest. And over time, a, a number of issues arose in the church that caused divisions. A misuse of the Lord's Supper and spiritual gifts. It would be fair to say that chaos reigned in the church of Corinth. It's probably the same chaos that happened this last week when the uh, council were meeting in Kuruleni and they were throwing chairs and slapping each other and stealing cell phones. Although Paul was away from the church in Corinth, he was the spiritual father of that congregation. So through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the power of the pen, he spoke into their lives. He pointed out that the church was the body of Christ, which made it a united body. Although it was a body made of many diverse parts, that is to say, it was not about individuals. It's not about you and me. It's about our head. And who is our head? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 14, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no farther or further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of His one Spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots. But when we entered into a large and integrated life in which He has the final say in everything, that is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a pair of, uh, each one of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we call, where we all come to drink 
the old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. Much of 1 Corinthians 12 corrected misunderstanding about spiritual gifts among the Christians in Corinth. Apparently, some believed that those able to speak in tongues or prophecy were more spiritual than others. And I can tell you that that hasn't been a problem only 2,000 years ago in Corinth. It, it has become a problem in the church today. If some people can prophesy or some people can speak in tongues, then it's like, wow, look at me. But this is not what Jesus wants us to do. This may have created yet another reason for division in the church, along with jealousy or a sense of inferiority. Paul insisted that every spiritual gift was given by God for a reason and was essential to the church, the body of Christ. Why do you think our world is falling apart today? Everything exists on the trinity of me, my, and I. It's all about what can I get out of this? I can tell you one thing. The world will be a whole different place if we say, how can we all benefit from this? How can the church, how can Jesus Christ benefit from all of this? Paul did urge them, though, to desire that the higher gifts of apostle, prophet, and teacher be given to the church. But he concluded by promising to show them a still more excellent way to serve each other. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31. A still more excellent way. The most excellent way and the motivation of our serving in the church should be the love of God. The love of God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and by the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Paul begins 1 Corinthians chapter 13 by describing just how useless, even destructive, spiritual gifts are when not applied from the standpoint of love. Displays of tongues, prophetic powers, and supernatural spiritual knowledge may be extraordinary, 
but they are worthless if not used as intended by God out of a heart of love for Him and other believers. Even the most spiritual of activities, selling everything to give to the poor and sacrificing one's life to be burned for the sake of others, gains a person nothing if it's not given out of love. Paul describes the love he's talking about. It's not a a love of bloated emotions that may come and go. It's not a love of flowery or eloquent words. This is God's love from the Greek agape, often described as unconditional love by Christians. It is unconditional in the sense that it does not depend on the one being loved, but on the commitment of the one acting. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go and say, okay, Ellen, show me why I should die for you. Carl, show me why I should die for you. No. Jesus took a risk. But he came down to earth. And he said, Lord, I love them so much. I will die for them. Paul uses 14 verbs, actions, to describe this love. Seven are positive statements about what love does. And the other seven are negative statements about what love does not do. In all cases, true Christian love is about setting our ego aside for the good of other believers. But I don't have an ego. But I just don't work with that guy, Lord. You know what he's done, Lord? Or, or Lord, you know, he's a scallum, Lord. Do you think that's love? Be careful of your ego. Lack of love, lack of love was at the heart of nearly all the problems Paul had to confront in his letter. Love is patient and kind. It actively waits and actively moves for the good of others. On the other hand, love doesn't envy or boast, not even regarding the spiritual gifts of our ego or others. Love is not arrogant, convinced of one's superiority over others. Love is not rude, meaning that it does not act indecently, sinning and breaking cultural norms to bring attention to ourselves. Those who love like this have given up on seeking their own status and satisfaction first and foremost. Instead, they sincerely commit themselves to seeking the good for other believers. Because of what they don't get irritable, because of that, they don't get irritable or provoked when other people get in the way. The other people are the point 
not the obstacle. The other people are the point, not the obstacle. Love also means truly letting go of past hurts instead of storing them up and keeping a record of wrongs. Love refuses to take any joy or pleasure from wrongdoing. Instead, it declares that which is true and is worth celebrating above all. Love loves the truth. Love doesn't set limits on love. Love does not declare this far and no further. Akis no finish and claw. Love bears and puts up with all things for the good of other believers. That is true even if that means loving them for, from a greater distance to avoid the active abuse of others. Similarly, love believes all things. Pushing the burden of truthfulness onto others instead of carrying the burden of uncovering falsehood. Love doesn't stop hoping for other believers to do good. No matter the evidence of the past, love doesn't stop when the trials of life pile up. Love keeps going. Paul sums it up. Love never fails. Christians may fail to love as the Corinthians have clearly demonstrated. But God's kind of love will always be effective. And unlike spiritual gifts, which will no, long, which will no longer be needed when, the, when Christ comes, love will last forever. On that day, Christians will know, even as God knows us now, until then, spiritual gifts provide a partial knowledge of what is to come. I've always, and I'll share again with you, I always believe that each one of us are like, a, are like a puzzle piece. And when we come together, we are a portrait of Jesus Christ. And, that is, and this is what spiritual gifts do. Each one of us hold an important part of the puzzle. And when we work together for Christ, we show the world a portrait of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Both now and then, love will remain the greatest of all the virtues. Do you want to unlock the kingdom of God in your life? Then unlock the seventh key. Let love motivate you to serve. A certain medieval monk announced that he would be preaching next Sunday evening on the love of God. As the shadows fell and the light ceased to come into the cathedral windows. I see they had Eskom those days. Anyway, as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered. In the darkness of the altar, the monk lit a candle and carried it to the crucifix. First of all, he illumined the crown of thorns. Next, the two wounded hands. Then the marks of the spear wound. In the hush that fell, he blew out the candle and left the chancel. There was nothing else 
to say. Finally, few things we pursue in life last forever. The things of this world won't last. They will dissolve, decay, disintegrate, or die. They are temporary. Where we can invest our treasure and our time and our effort to produce. Where can we invest our treasure, our time, and our effort to produce eternal gains? Where do our hearts find their reward and greatest joy? How do we touch eternity as mere mortals? Certainly not with temporal gems that many of us spend our lives to acquire. Paul reminded the Corinthians that these three remain and will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these, the most lasting of the three, is love. What we do to share God's love with others lasts forever. What we do to love God is everlasting. The truth about love's enduring power is glorious to experience, but not necessarily easy to practice. Loving our enemies, our, pros- our persecutors, our brothers and sisters who have wronged us is difficult. Thankfully, we have the Spirit of God living within us to empower us to love. As we love each other, even, even when it is incredibly challenging, the Spirit helps us invest in what is eternal. After all, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I don't know about you, but I want these eternal qualities to be my life's most treasured investments. Therefore, unlock the kingdom of God. Use the seventh key. Let love motivate you to serving. Let love motivate you to serving. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise and thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus gave his life. He gave his everything for us. And I pray, Lord, we know that he gave it all because of his great love for us. And so, Lord, within each one of us, you have given us gifts and abilities to serve you and the church and the world. Lord, may we not hold on to them selfishly, but, Lord, may we seek love. May we seek faith, hope, but the greatest of these is love. And help us, Lord, to build one another up just as you have built us up. 
Lord, may we not count the cost. May we love as you have loved us. May we give as you have given to us. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit rest upon us. May we go out in faith. May we be astonished by our hope in you. And may your love continually be upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us come before God now with our offering. Let us give thanks for what he has done for us. And let us offer ourselves to him through our offering this morning. Let us just quietly reflect on God's offer of love to us and let us quietly just receive his love for us. And then I'll ask that Janet just softly prays for us in the background. Let's stand as the offering is brought forward. Dear Lord God, as we come before you and give back a portion of the many blessings that you give us, we don't only come before you with an offering of money, but also of time and of commitment to you, Lord God. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll accept these offers offerings that we come before you and that you'll accept them to the glory of your kingdom dear lord god we just pray your blessing over these offerings that we will do well with them and that we'll further your kingdom in this place and god as we do this we also think of those that are sick and are not here this morning 
We just pray your hand of blessing and healing over them, that they can come back and join us as soon as possible. So, Lord God, we lift all these things up to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning I welcome you to this joyful feast of the people, of the children of God. It says that they will come from east and west and from north and south to sit at the table in the kingdom of God. According to Luke, when our risen Lord was at the table with his disciples, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Then their eyes were filled with God's love and they ran out to share that love with the other disciples. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites those who trust Him to share the feast which He has prepared. We are now going into a time of prayer, and uh, what I've done is there are a few responses I would like you just to, to offer as we come into our prayer, and uh, it just shows us that we are bonded together in Christ, and with one, wo with one voice, we are, are blessed by His love. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give Him our thanks and praise. Let us pray. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, eternal God, our Creator, you have given us life and a second birth in your spirit. Once we were no people, but now we are your people. You claimed Israel as your chosen nation and raised up the church as a witness to the resurrection, breathing into it your life and power. From worlds apart, you gathered us together. When we go astray, you welcome us home, always your love has been steadfast. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of heaven and with all the faithful of every time and place, whoever and whoever 
sing to the glory of your name. Let us say this together. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Let us say it together. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You are holy, O God of majesty. And blessed, blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. In love with you and in compassion for all. Jesus healed and taught, challenged and comforted, welcomed and saved. He formed a community promising to be with his disciples wherever two or three were gathered and sending them on in his mission of hope and healing in the world. Jesus trusted his life to you and went freely to his death, O Heavenly Father, so the world might be set free from suffering and sin. You raised him from death and raised us also to live a new life with him in the power of of the Holy Spirit. You send us out to make disciples as he commanded, remembering all your mighty and merciful acts. We take this bread and this wine from the gifts of what you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as a living and holy offering of ourselves that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Please say with me, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, gracious God, pour out your living Holy Spirit upon us and these gifts. May you pour out your life upon us, Lord, through the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place as this bread is Christ's body for us. Send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. O oh God, Today you have called us together to be the church. Unite us now at your table and in one loaf and a common cup. Make us one in Christ Jesus. Let your spirit empower the life we share and ignite our witness in the world. With all who have gone before us, keep us faithful to the gospel teachings and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Give us strength to serve you until the promised day of the resurrection when with the redeemed of all the ages we will feast with you at your table in glory. Through Christ, 
All glory and honor are yours, almighty God. With the Holy Spirit in the Holy Church, now and forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took a cup. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it all of you. In remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded of his death and of his coming again in glory. Amen. body of Christ given for me. The blood of Christ shed for me. the elders to please come forward. I now invite each and every one of you to come forward and to enjoy the body and blood of Christ, given for you out of great love. Come and enjoy God's love for you.
Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious God, may we who have received this sacrament live in the unity of your Holy Spirit, that we may show forth your gifts to all the world. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing together our final song. Thank you. 
Almighty and gracious Lord, as we go into this new week, may you truly come upon us, Almighty God. May you have your way with us, Lord, and may you guide us to where we need to be, and may we be a blessing wherever we go. For, Lord, we know that we are blessed to be a blessing. And now, may the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Ooh.